You're listening to the SHL Smart Teams Podcast, a show where we invite experts on people science to talk about how to build a future where businesses thrive because their people thrive. Welcome to SHL Talent Talks. I am Frédéric Magnin, Talent Acquisition Solutions Specialist at SHL, and I am joined today by Paul Science. Paul, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, indeed. Firstly, thank you very much for inviting me to take part in this, Frederick. Um, so my name is Paul Sears, as Frederick has kindly introduced. I have two hats on today. One of them is my current role, which I am the head of graduate resourcing and development for uh, First Group, which is the rail and bus operating organisation in the UK, uh, one of the leading operators. And then secondly, I also sit on the board of directors on the Institute of Student Employers. So hopefully uh, what I have to say um, today will be of use and provide some good insight to listeners. Indeed, Paul. And let me say that uh, we're really looking forward and we're delighted to have you on the podcast. Uh, so in this episode, I would like to take advantage of your expertise to discuss uh, opportunities and challenges in early careers programs today. And let me start with a fairly broad question. Uh, why do you think at this moment in time, early careers programs need to be reimagined? Um, I think there's several answers to that, to be honest with you. One is uh, we don't we don't undertake careers these days or we don't start careers these days with the mind that that will be the same organization that we're finishing in. Uh, when we when we come to retire so graduate programs have traditionally been or historically been set up to provide talent to feed into the business on maybe a 10 to 20 year plan and I don't necessarily think that's the case anymore so we need to reimagine what our offering is twofold one to gain as much benefit from having that graduate in the business early days and secondly to um, encourage and develop the graduate for the industry in which you're in because the long-term gain is we get to keep them in the industry, which to me is always a benefit. Um, and the other one is just the way in which we work these days is changing. Uh, you know, the, the onset of the digital era has been coming for a while, and I think this is where the pandemic has come in and, and caused us a great favour, or given us a great favour, and causing us to rapidly assess how we do things in, in the graduate and talent space. So, And that, that applies to actual... Um, direct entry hiring as well as graduate or early career hiring so I think in that respect the two answers are um, the change in our career portfolios and the onset of the digital era being um, accelerated due to the pandemic yeah and, and let me reflect on that it, it sounds like um, the pandemic is really an accelerator and, and, and a revealer of um, the, the importance and, and uh, the, the fact that the, the, the impacts of digitalizations are real. It sounds like before the pandemic, it was already an important concept, something discussed very much, um, at least in, in, in the research, uh, but that now business leaders are way more aware of, of the need to transform the business. Very much so. I mean, almost overnight, um, we had to go from what we wanted to do as graduate recruiters and thrust that underneath our leadership and make them make they were forced to make decisions and accept that 
the way we'd done things in the past wasn't possible to be done anymore. And what we've learned from that as we've come out of this is a lot of that worked even better. So we're not going to be going back to what we did. Honestly, I've worked for several organizations and we've, you know, I, I'm sure there's many people out there who can say we got away with the old ways a little bit because nobody was forcing the change. There was nothing to make us change and what we were doing worked. But then the pandemic came along and leaders, had to, leaders in business had to make drastic decisions on the delivery of what their business models are to consumers, to customers, to clients, to all the parties involved and human resources as an element of, of, of that delivery and then tethering it down even further to resourcing. So we have been, like you said, there have been papers and research and discussions on it previously, but we had all this knowledge, but never the support from the business to make those changes. And then overnight that change had to happen, which did us a great favor. And we've learned a lot from it in this past few months. So yeah, I think the pandemic was an accelerator to what we were trying to embed into our businesses previously. And, and so now is the time for action, it seems. Um, and and um, I think this is also why we were so excited to have this session with you today, because I believe there are many people in our audience that are uh, taking on this journey of reinventing early careers programs and wondering if they are going in the right direction. Um, yeah, absolutely. There's no... There's no hiding from it now. I think candidates, even in there, you know, look at the student or look at the universities who are the suppliers of our pro of our, of our candidates, as it were. Um, they've had to change to be digital. You know, you know, universities went back, but the students physically didn't go back to campus. So there was a lot of um, education from the student perspective on how to operate in the digital world, even if they weren't on courses that were related to digital use and all that kind of stuff. But they they learned faster than we did in, in terms of the output. So then when they, they've come to look for their careers, they're expecting us to be as up, up to date or if not further up to date than they are in that respect. And they're expecting to go through these sort of um, online virtual selection processes, assessment processes, etc. And even to the point of um, what was created last year in terms of the online virtual internships and, and um, work experience programs, it's now the way things are and we're not going to go back. So um, just reflecting on your question in terms of the learning that we've had from this and, and the changes that are going to be made, it's they weren't temporary. They are they are emerging as the sort of the, we're emerging out of this saying what worked before what worked during and let's create that hybrid approach where we can provide better more efficient more cost economically sound solutions for for our processes but then that has an onward advantage it's going to create a different work-life balance for the world um, you know our exec aren't expecting us to go in every day to the office. It's not necessary to have a desk. It's not necessary to um, meet face to face every meeting. And that's changing the whole environment in which students are working in. It's changing the whole expectation on students when they first join. I was just having a conversation with a colleague earlier it's in terms of annual leave. Students never in a million years would have thought when they start their career to take annual leave in the first three months, you know, that what impression does that make? But is it going to be that drastic to do that? Because they haven't been in the office for the whole three months of their first of their first period in employment, you know. The attitude and the process and the mindset will change.
that that's a good that's a great point um and and so it really feels like the the changes today uh, that are needed are not cosmetic but they're they're really um deep changes, if I can say. And uh, I, I think when I was uh, discussing before um, in the field of graduate recruitment about the changes needed, the first thing that would come forward is that uh, the business needs new skills because digital transformation is creating some kind of skill gap. And, and that seems like um, the sort of simpler problem to solve, but then you, you touched on, it's not just about looking for the right skills right now, it, it's about uh, reinventing careers because they won't be as linear as they have been, um, because uh, change is now constant. Um, and, and the other point is that candidates are also expecting something else. Uh, they're expecting a meaningful recruitment experience, maybe more of a dialogue with the company they're applying to, and dynamic careers as well. Is that also something that that, that you're feeling and that comes into your reflection today? Yeah, so having had discussions with peers in, in the industry, I think that word meaningful, I think, is very important to students. It's no longer, what's the job that's going to give me the salary? What's the job that's going to make me um, look as great as I want to be. Actually, what's the job that's going to return value for me in terms of my values, my morals? What's the job that I'm going to be able to do that will deliver an impact on other people in a positive way? What's the job that's going to engage me and keep me motivated? And that has made us rethink what are the motivators for graduates these days? What are the things that we can do to create that variety to enhance their skill set of flexibility, adaptability? Um, whilst keeping them engaged and motivated without that that loss of loss of of momentum i suppose when they start their careers um yeah i think that that sums up my, my perspective of what i'm hearing out there and, and it sounds like there is an opportunity here and possibly an element that is game-changing for companies to attract candidates that uh, they maybe wouldn't have attracted before because they present a, a very authentic um, and, and maybe uh, experience and maybe more of a dialogue, uh, relationship with candidates. Another word you've pulled up there is authenticity. I think students, they need to believe before they join. Um, and I think the only way to do that is to have those dialogues, to, is to create opportunity for employee or candidates to engage with employees and not just the professionals there to recruit them. I think if we don't give those students an opportunity to almost immerse themselves into the environment and the psyche of the organization before making them an offer. The likelihood these days, I think, is they will turn down the offer or have a much more prolonged decision process to get there. So we can almost speed up and create a more positive candidate experience by doing exactly those sort of activities in our attraction phase of, of our campaigns rather than even the selection phase of our campaigns make the attraction centered around the experience the reality and the people rather than the role the subject and the qualifications required that that's that's fascinating paul um really um and um i i think it, it really means a big a very big change for the way companies are hiring graduates um i, I mean 
the current situation still is that uh, a hiring process is a process that a candidate go through to provide information to the employer. It's, it's not really bilateral. Uh, and here we're talking about something radically different. And how can you convey the, the values, the psyche, as you said, of your organization throughout a hiring process? I think you, you're right. It's not linear anymore. I think there's a two-way conversation that happens. It has always traditionally happened in, at the final selection phases where, you know, you come to an assessment center or a final interview or whatever it is for a position on a graduate program or even a direct entry graduate role. And that's where the candidate gets to assess you as much as assess you assess them. But I think take that concept of mutual assessment and bring it into your attraction phase where you are giving the student the, the the chance to engage with and learn from the candidates who've been there and been through the process themselves in the past. I think that's that's the way that students can buy into when they when they look at an organisation and they can see it in reflection and actually see themselves in that reflection of what that organisation is portraying. I think that's where you start to support your selection process, funnily enough, because of the self-selection that happens in that phase. If you are being honest, open, truthful and, and show meaning to the, to what you're asking graduates to come and do, if it doesn't sit with them, they're going to self-select early and not even apply. That used to be a problem when we used to always be measured by the number of applications we get in. And, rather, and that now the whole change is it's not about volume, it's about quality. There's still a bit of volume. Obviously, you need to get some applications through the door and you need to um, see some return on investment. But it's the quality of, the, of that number that, that counts more than the actual number itself these days. And the only way you can support getting the right quality is making sure that self or that assessment of you from a candidate perspective happens early because self-selection can be a very powerful thing both in process you know you've got less candidates but more quality less to process higher return etc etc so i think the key for me and something i'm going to be reflecting on as we build um, our campaigns going forward in fact i was speaking to our agency today the key for me is very much we're not presenting the job here, we're presenting the environment, we're presenting the culture, we're presenting the people, and we're giving them the chance to ask back, ask the questions based on that information. It's a conversation rather than a pushing information out there. And it sounds like um, th this can be achieved, but it, it, it does need a little bit of preparation work and looking back at uh, what happened during the pandemic, how that disturbs the how that disturbs the business and changes a little bit the strategy. It, it sounds like organizations need to go back to uh, reinventing their business strategy and then translating that into uh, an employer value proposition for students. Um, yeah, the, absolutely right. I mean, look at look at the railways, for example, which is where I'm currently working or doing a lot of my work. Bus as well, so the bus industry and the railway industry. But looking at the railway as an example is, we've just had the the the, the Williams report come out, and there's been public announcements as how the railways are going to fundamentally change the industry of railways, how we operate, who the players are going to be is going to fundamentally change. 
Now that doesn't mean the people are going to change, that just means redeploying skills, utilising knowledge that is in existence and making it as efficient as we can within our business models and making sure that the end goal is the customer. Now you look at Network Rail, you look at the actual rail operating companies, you look at all these organisations involved with running British Railways and more so than ever it's the customer is the end goal, not making sure the train runs on time. It's If it doesn't, what is the impact to the customer? If a point fails on the line, what is the impact to the customer? So everything is now centrally focused on customer experience. Now if we can take that mentality and put it into our recruitment processes and our development processes and look who our customers are, and that mindset gets transitioned into those processes, we're going to get candidates that are going to be joining us with a real customer-centric mindset and they're going to have understood the value of it because they would have been the customer coming through the process. So we're going to get people who everything that they do every day is going to have the question hanging over it is what does that mean for our customer? And that's what we need to do. We need to change the business model, translate that into our recruitment and selection processes and translate that into making sure the people that we're then making those offers to have understood and bought into that not only bought into the salary that we're offering them. Mm -hmm. and, and my feeling talking to clients in, in different industries is that the level of disruption we've experienced and we're experiencing uh, makes it that every organization is confronted to a change in how their customers behave, how, how they buy, and, and also a changes in what candidates expect. And so I think that every organization should should start going on the journey of reinventing their early careers program. And, and Paul, you're a board director at the Institute for Student Employers, so you know the landscape very well. How far in that journey would you say most organizations are? It varies. I'll be 100% truthful with you. It, it varies considerably. Um, and that varies on the way the organizations have been hit by the pandemic, you know, it, it's not just a case of willingness, there's also a case of financial ability to make changes. Um, and various organizations have been hit in various ways. So there are those that are waiting to see what others do and learn without having to do the learning themselves. And that's completely understandable if they just don't have the financial backing to, to do what they'd like to do now. Um, and then there's those who've been leading the way because they have been able to it and their industries have actually been encouraged or enhanced by what's been going on or they've taken this as an opportunity because of the pause in business output to reflect inwards and, and make changes so that we're, they're ready when, the, when they're able to deliver on those when we come out of this fully. Um, so yeah, there's no set answer but I, I think the it's very much, it, it varies from organisation to organisation, industry to industry. Um, and to, to those that are just starting that journey or haven't started, or maybe they are already uh, midway and a little bit further in their reflection, uh, I, I'm thinking that they would be interested in understanding uh, what, what action plan do you recommend to, to rethink and then implement a, a new early career strategy? Sounds a bit odd in saying this, but look at what you did. Many organizations, and I'm included, it's been so long since we've done it because we weren't able to do anything during the last 18 months. So,
go back, review, look at what you've did, look at what worked. It doesn't change doesn't mean throwing everything out. It means reflecting on what you've done, see what worked, speak to those people who've done it, speak to management, find out what they're you know, start speaking to commercial team members, start speaking to business leaders, finding out what their thoughts are for the business, and bring all that information together and have it properly analyzed. Look at what you want to keep, what needs changing, what doesn't need changing. And then as you come at that, then start to look at the tools that can be utilized in that change. Is it just, um, is it digital activity? Is it um, change in process, but same materials for your selection, for example? You, you just need to be quite flexible in how you approach this, but you need to understand what was, discuss with people and within the business about what their plans are to be, merge those two t things together and don't be afraid to try stuff you know as i don't think we're at a actually i i, I think being risk averse is a problem these days you need to be able to take risks you need to be able to have the courage to try things everybody's in the same boat is in terms of we're emerging from something that has fundamentally changed the way we look at the world uh, and the way we operate. So be the risk taker. You, know, you, you might end up having your organization as the leading light. It, it, don't be afraid of that risk. Um, and then start to bring people on that journey with you. Don't do that in a silo. Engage, like I said, you know, if you're looking back and engaging what the plans are, based on what outcome and solutions you're coming up with, Go back to those people you engaged with to find out what the business future looks like and share them with them saying, and, and look at your mapping and share with them your maps of what future talent will look like to support their business plans. Because that way, further down the line, when those people come on board, they'll have a sense of ownership. And, and I've seen in the past where it's very much leadership within a business doesn't really f they feel they ought to have graduates but never really understood why it's just because others are let's do this tick box exercise we have a graduate program and to get that endorsement early on and get them engaging in the designing and building of that you'll get that support further down the line as well of the graduates once they've joined so i think that's that's the process i would go through is a bit of reflection of the past a bit of engagement about the future putting together the plan of how to match that future from a talent perspective and then re-engaging with those people to make sure they're on board with what your suggested solutions are and highlight the benefit of the risk you're taking and, and what, what that will bring to the business to support their future plans. That's, I, I think, very insightful and, and also very practical advice. So th thank you, thank you, Paul. And um, I'd like to pick up on, on one thing that you said. Um, going back, uh, talking internally, brainstorming, uh, discussing broadly with, with the business and the internal and external stakeholders uh, might lead you on the right path uh, to reinvent the, um, talent programs. Um, basically starting from what does our business needs uh, moving forward. A and then you talked also about demonstrating the business impact um, for your internal leaders. And here I want to touch on one point, which is I, I think a growing concern within um, the, 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 uh, 
the, the HR community at large uh, and, and wanted to have your your point of view on on how business thinks about this and it's specifically on the point on, of diversity equity and inclusion how important do you think uh, DEI is in that reinvent, uh, reinvention of early careers programs? And as far as your discussions with the business go, how, how do they see DEI as a business issue or, or is it still more of a talent HR thing for them? No, no, absolutely not. It's a business issue now. I think it's right front and center. Um, the whole Black Lives Matter um, era if I may call it that, is a very positive thing. It's opened businesses' eyes to the value that diversity brings to a business and the benefit both in people and in actual business output. Um, and I don't think there's a, a, a respectful CEO in the land that wouldn't agree with that uh, on the basis that if we don't have a diverse pool of employees pool of talent right through the pipeline if we don't have that reflected from the bottom to the top how are we going to relate to the customer uh, I'm speaking from a perspective of, of transport I suppose we serve our, our, our role is to keep communities connected and engaged and and to serve those communities but if we don't understand and reflect those communities within our own workforce how they're going to put their trust in us how are they going to understand that we've got their interest at heart? Um, so I absolutely think it's business forefront and centre. So uh, I'd re really like to, to reiterate and pick up what you said, which is, if I can rephrase, hire the talent uh, that represents the, the population you serve. Yeah. Pretty much. You need to have a workforce that represents the population you're serving very much so and I think I mean th that's not just my view I mean, if you look at um, the white papers and the various documents that are coming out of the rail rail review um, in terms of how we rebuild and recover from the pandemic in, in, in our railways is people and the diversity and inclusivity of, 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 of the variety of people that are out there um, is forefront of that plan it's written into agreements that we're forging with unions, with government, with um, the rail delivery group. It, it's it's all written in. It's being diversity inclusivity um, is being written into the agenda of of, of recovery. Paul, I'd like also to go back to to one thing that you said, which is about not being afraid to innovate, to try new approaches. To, and, and not being risk averse. And uh, as you said, you're the head of uh, graduate resourcing and development at First Group, and you're obviously um, on the journey of reinventing your, your early talent programs. And I wanted to ask, um, when you have been exploring uh, new ways of doing things? Six years ago at First Group, we introduced strength-based selection. Now, there was a bit of... Um, how shall I say it, uh, resistance to doing that, you know, the traditional competency base. Now, some people are advocates of strength, some people are still out there, the jury's still out for some people, but I'm, I'm a strong advocate of it, and we introduced it six years ago. Uh, it was actually before my time, but that's, that's by the by. Um, 
and there was some that resistance was there and then slowly we got people to actually to have a leap of faith take that risk and actually use it and and we our assessors are always from the business we don't have a separated hr team of assessors or anything like that they're always business uh, leaders and we bring they came they came to assessment and now we have a an army of champions of strength-based assessment within our business um, and it's been incorporated into other areas as well so um, that was a risk that in the HR in the graduate team rather we, we took we we believed what we're doing we had that conviction we brought people on that journey by talking them through why we're doing it getting them to consider what those strengths and engaging them with them to help develop what those core strengths for our business should be and then helping us to assess the candidates against those and it converted them and it really worked and then um, we then about two years ago did a complete reflection of the actual exercises those strengths were doing we, we, we reviewed quite Finite, you know, quite in quite a large amount of detail. We reviewed where the adverse impacts were on on the uh, gender bias, ethnicity bias, etc., etc. And we found there were some biases in our process, slight but too slight to be, but too um, prominent. Although slight, too prominent to be ignored. Um, and we did away with some of our exercises. And if you look at the assessment centre, there is traditionally there has been the group exercise and, and, and that that's something we found actually this doesn't sit comfortably we did away with our group exercise altogether and people just didn't think that was a good idea in our business they thought how are we going to understand how people engage and deal with other people as part of that you know they're all joining teams how can you tell they're going to fit in the team if they can't sit and work on a group exercise and we just we put our arguments together had the confidence of the business to trust us and we did away with it and the quality of the candidates that were coming out and our um, I don't like measuring EDI for just a measurement sake but our stats started to have a, a very positive upward turn in terms of that year the cohort was 50% female whereas we hadn't achieved that before we had increased our BA, BAME uh, diversity stats um, and those people actually consequently, which is what's more important to me than the numbers themselves, is those people, the quality of those candidates who have gone on to join the business, their acceleration has been far more or far greater than we may have expected previously. Or we, it just had a positive impact on what we were doing from an EDI perspective. So um, the business now understands that they can trust us. And I think that going back to the point I made earlier about bringing them on the journey it doesn't actually do any harm because from your objectives because it gives the trust in you from the business and I think without that they'll always be looking over your shoulder as why you're doing things so for me um, I think I've, I've, I've explained quite in a convoluted way but for me making changes through realistic assessment of the past and, and understanding the need going forward gives you that chance to make the take the risk and, and have that impact on EDI and, and other things. Yeah, I don't think that was convoluted, Paul, and I think there was a lot in there. <laughs> I, I think what, what I take away from what you just said is, uh, is definitely to consult widely, but not being afraid to position uh, yourself as an expert, uh, as you are, 
and to trust your intuition, not being afraid of some friction also sometimes with, with change. Absolutely, changing. absolutely. We, we've got self-doubt is natural, but we've got to remember we're in these positions: graduate recruiters, graduate professional develop you know, people in the development teams who are who are the professionals, and our businesses hire us for that professional knowledge and that experience, even if you're relatively new. There's a whole host of people out there to, to support you, both internally, but most importantly, I mean, I'm, I'm going to do a little bit of a plug here, is you've got organisations like the Institute of Student Employers, and it's, it's a network of very experienced, very enthusiastic and very talented people from the supplier side of things, from the recruiter side of things, from the university side of things. There's a whole host of people out there who want us all to succeed because graduate talent is part of the future of talent. Uh, there's there's no denying that it needs to have a place at, at the table for business. Um, we can't constantly rely on finding experienced hires. It, it's a very practical and sensible way to make sure the talent pools are there for our industries and us as individual companies in the future. So I guess my, my closing thoughts, if, 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 uh, if I may, is to very much recognize that the next few months needs to be a reflection of what we've learned of the past 18 months. It needs to, um, it needs to make sure that the people doing that reflection will then have the courage and support to take the risks needed to make changes. Because if you don't have that courage and you don't take those risks, you'll be left behind. Um, although there is a, a vast army of, of people within my industry, within graduate resourcing, out there willing to support and share you've got to step out and make those networks as well this is great paul thank you uh, i i understand this is your your main takeaway for our audience today yeah well it's one of i mean i could i could probably spend another two hours talking to you about what i'd like people to do but i, I think my main takeaway is really make sure you reflect on the past you align that to what the business wants its future to be and you position how graduate talent or even I mean not just graduates there's apprenticeships there's also early career talent is in a place to support that business going forward and if you can't do that um, either well something's got to change we could obviously continue this conversation for a long time, but b being conscious of time, um, I also wanted to, to give uh, one takeaway thought and advice to our audience, which is to, to look into the research, uh, look into what or other organizations are doing. And, and uh, I can recommend as a good start to read uh, the SHL 2021 Graduate Recruitment Guide, which is on our website and, and explores um, exactly the research into uh, Generation Z graduates and how to attract, select, and grow the diverse early talent that organizations need to, to face the, the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know SHL has a, has a vast amount of experience in, in supporting employers in, in the graduate space. So uh, I'd 100% agree with that. And then uh, I, I would like to leave on one is uh, I would recommend you look at joining the ISE. Um, well, that concludes our conversation today. Paul, thank you so much for joining and sharing My your experience. My pleasure, Frederick. And thank you all for listening to SHL Talent Talks. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast channel. Goodbye for now. Thanks for listening to the SHL Smart Teams podcast. To learn more about how SHL helps companies leverage their greatest asset, their people, 
please visit shl.com.